0: my name is andrew tate and this is season one episode six of let's not meet a true horror podcast My guest this week is Sora Narnia of the Knife Point Horror Podcast. If you're a longtime listener, or if you've gone through the archives that have been posted online of all of the old episodes during the first run, you're probably familiar with his work, and I'm very happy to have him back. So listen now to Season 1, Episode 6 of Let's Not Meet. This happened when I was around nine years old. I live in a terraced house, which is four houses combined, and my neighbors and I each have our own patio. There's a small road, 10 meters from my yard, where people do their Sunday walks and so on. Only a small fence separates my small yard and the patio from the road. I live in a pretty crowded area, with several of these terraced houses spread around my neighborhood. So seeing people walking on that road is pretty normal for me. Seeing random people standing on my patio is not. When I was nine, I usually got home from school about an hour before my mom got home from work. I live maybe 50 meters away from school, so my mom figured I was mature enough to be home alone for around an hour before she got home. This one day I got home from school, I did the usual thing, which was make sure that I locked the front door and double-checked that the back door leading to the patio was also locked. That was nine. Being alone was a little scary, even though it was in the middle of the day, and only for an hour. I would then rush to my room upstairs and play as much PlayStation as possible before my mom came home and made me do homework. While playing, I heard this noise coming from outside my window. My room was located one floor over the patio, with the view to the road that I told you about before. It was kind of like the sound of a cat, but my cat had been missing for over three months. Hope sparked, and I thought, oh my god, he did finally come back, and I ran downstairs to check if it was my cat, but the sight that met me gives me goosebumps just writing this. There was a guy standing on my patio. A tall guy with black hair covering half his eyes, making him look like a male version of the woman from The Ring or something like that. I could hear him making high-pitched sounds, almost like a cat meowing. A brown liquid was running down from his mouth, and I could see him spitting out my dad's stomped cigarettes. He was actually eating from the ashtray. I was frozen observing this, eventually snapped out of it and screamed so loud that the man must have heard it. He didn't react, though. He kept on eating from the ashtray. I ran upstairs to my room, locked the door, and called my mom, who then called the cops. I'd never been more terrified in my life. Laying in bed under my sheets, shivering with fear, as I hear these creepy, high-pitched noises from the guy eating cigarettes from the ashtray on my patio. I kind of blacked out for a moment, because the next thing I remember is the police arriving on the road by my yard. I hear them yelling to the guy, saying stuff like, what are you doing? Get over here, or we'll come down and arrest you, and so on. He didn't respond, but the high-pitched sounds were more frequent and louder. I decided to look through the window, feeling safe now that the cops were there. I could see two police officers standing by my fence, one man and one woman. I didn't see the creepy man, however, because he was standing directly under me, away from my field of view. The police jumped the fence, and I remember hearing the creepy guy screaming louder than anything I had heard before. He charged the female police officer with full force, and he fucking knocked her out cold. The male officer then immediately tased the guy, leaving him shaking on the ground, screaming still. The male police officer struggled to keep him down on the ground while putting handcuffs on him, but eventually he made it. After a while, he managed to wake up the female officer who seemed to be badly hurt. He called for backup and an ambulance, and then he sees me standing there in the window above him. The expression on my face must have been something else, because he just looked at me and said, I sure as hell hope you didn't see all that. I started to cry. By this time, neighbors started to arrive wondering what the hell was going on. One of my neighbors, an elderly woman, made me come down and she took care of me until my mom came back home. The police took the creepy guy with them in the car and left. Before they left, they promised to come back and talk to us about what had happened. This is where the story takes an unexpected turn. The male police officer came back later that night and sat down with my mom and I to talk. He explained that the guy on the patio was actually diagnosed with severe autism. He had escaped a facility where mentally challenged people live, located around 5 kilometers from where I live. He explained that the guy had actually been living in my house five years ago, but he had been forced to move when his mom, his only caretaker, died. The poor guy probably thought he would find his mom in my house. He missed the routines, and he missed living there with his mom. The police had to move him from my house that time five years ago because he was extremely strong. From what I heard, he had extreme tensions in the body because of the autism, making his muscles grow stronger and stronger throughout the years. This was the reason he reacted the way he did when the police came this day. Still frightened, I told the police officer that he needed to make sure that this would never happen again. He promised... It wouldn't. After a few sleepless nights, my life got back to normal. The years went by, and the guy didn't come back. Until one year ago. At this time, my mom and dad had moved out. I bought the house from them, and I'm still living there today. I was enjoying my morning coffee on the patio when I see this random guy stopping in the road by my fence. He just stands there, looking at me. I look at him and give him a nod. I then hear the high-pitched noises. Holy shit, it's him. His hair turned gray, but the high-pitched sounds made me realize. My heart started racing, and I instantly remembered the reason why he was back. I realized that he must have managed to escape again. Because I kept my cool a bit longer when I was nine, I started to realize how sorry I felt for this guy. Sixteen years later, and he was back to the fence. I started to think he would knock me out like he did to that police officer. He didn't, though. He smiled. He looked at me and just smiled. I offered for him to sit down. He didn't respond. I offered for him to come inside. He started laughing. So we went inside. His face lit up. Pure joy. He was home, and it reminded him of the life that he had with his mom. It almost made me tear up. All of a sudden he sat down on my couch, turned on my TV and switched directly to the cartoons. I observed him for a while. He was completely focused on the cartoons. I just wanted him to enjoy the moment so I I didn't say anything to him. I realized I had to call the facility to let them know. The caretakers arrived 10 minutes later after a lot of convincing He got back up, crying, and they went back to the facility. I called the facility two days later. We made a deal. His name is Tom. I now consider Tom my friend. Every Sunday, from the day he returned, Tom and his caretakers visit me to watch cartoons. They say it's the highlight of the week. It makes my heart warm. Now, for several years, my thoughts were let's not meet guy on the patio eating from the ashtray, but now my thoughts are, let's meet every Sunday and watch cartoons. My friend, Tom.
1: Camping with three of my buddies, John, Bennett, and Kyle. We do this every year. It's kind of a trip to reconnect with each other. We were all fresh out of college and decided to go on our yearly camping trip in August. We are from Oregon and ended up camping in the woods there like we usually do, the same spot. first day was great. We set up our spot, explored the area, and by the time the sun was setting, we set up a campfire and made dinner. After a few too many beers and some s'mores, we decided to go to sleep. It was a perfect end to a perfect day. Our second day was basically the same thing. Hiking, food, one too many beers. But this night ended up being not so perfect. As we finished the rest of the beers, we were wrestling around with each other, like guys do. Then John stopped messing around and froze. Everyone was confused, but John claimed he heard something nearby. I told him it was most likely a squirrel, and he said, no, it was most definitely not. He was scaring me at this point, so I decided to resume the tackling session, and I took him down. We forgot about the whole thing until about 10 minutes later. We were tired from rustling and jerking around, so we decided to put out the fire and head into the tent. We had a six person tent. For anybody wondering, so we were all in one tent. Just as our only light source, besides our flashlights, went out, I heard a slight cackle. I assumed it was one of the boys because we were all clearly a bit buzzed, so everything is funny. I wanted to see what was so funny, so I turned the flashlight directly into Bennett's face. I thought he was the one laughing. Bennett's face was as white as a ghost. He looked at me and he said, Did you guys hear that? I said the laughing, and Kyle said, That wasn't you? We were all shaken and decided to go back into the tent. As we got in, I pulled out an axe that I used to cut the wood. It was the only source of protection we had I was on the very end of the tent, with Kyle and John in the middle, and Bennett on the other end. We were all silent, but I knew we were all wide awake after hearing the laughing. We weren't exactly at an actual campsite where there were other people around. We just walked into the woods, found an open spot, and set up camp there. We were about a mile from our car, with barely any cell signal, so I guess you could say we weren't exactly in the safest position if there was a crazy maniac running around. I got tired, so I dozed off. I have no idea how long I was sleeping before I heard laughing again. It's hard to describe other than it sounded menacing. I was frozen. I didn't move. I didn't even try to look over to see if my buddies were awake. The axe was under my pillow. As I mustered up the strength to move to get it, I saw what looked like someone's finger pressed up against the tent, just circling around the tent. Someone was defiantly outside, walking around our tent, laughing. When they got to the front part of the tent where the entrance was, they stopped. About... Five seconds went by before the person ferociously shook the tent and said, Boogity, boogity. That's when I knew my buddies were awake as well, because Kyle screamed like a little girl. And after he screamed, whoever was behind the tent laughed again and walked off. We lay there the rest of the night, wide awake and definitely sober. We didn't want to move out of pure fear that whoever was out there was still there. When the sun came up, we packed up everything and walked back to our car. We still go camping every year, but make sure to go to a legit camping site. I now bring a gun with me and not just an axe. Whoever was outside our campsite could have been A deranged homeless person, meth head, psychopath, serial killer, or just an asshole playing a prank on us. But I sure as hell won't camp in a rural place anymore. Uh, Stay safe out there. It is a dangerous world we live in.
0: This happened almost 19 years ago. I was about 13 years old and I was being raised by my grandparents. We lived in a little tourist town in Florida. They had problems with their two daughters as adults, my mother being the older of the two, and they wanted to do everything that they could to make sure that I didn't turn out the same way. A do-over, if you will. So needless to say, they were very strict. My aunt was having a good period, she had her stuff together. We were all very close. She understood what it was like to be raised under a glass dome, metaphorically speaking. They raised her too, after all. So being as she was my only aunt, she made sure that the time that we spent together was always really cool. I would stay over on Saturday nights. We would go out and hang out at the pier. and She would let me hang out with my middle school boyfriend who would find ways to get to wherever I was. My grandparents had no idea of any of these activities, of course. I was just spending some quality time with my aunt and giving them a break. It was nice that I had a younger female figure since my mom wasn't around. One night, when we were out having fun, my aunt meets this guy, and they really hit it off. He was very nice and introduced himself to me. He went by JR, and at first he was kind of charming. They exchanged numbers after hanging out for a while, and then we went home and went to bed. They ended up going out a bit more, and my aunt had really liked Jr. He took her to his home and introduced her to his father and showed her around his land. He lived out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. I have lived in this town for 30 years, and I still to this day couldn't tell you where that was. I was only there once. He was teaching my aunt how to shoot a gun. I remember her shoulder rocking back with the impact of the shot, and it surprising her. He had these weird flamingo dancing clothes in his closet. It was all seemingly harmless. I mean, everyone has their quirks. About ten days, maybe, maybe two weeks later, we were again at the pier, out by the payphones, talking about what to do that night and what to get for dinner. J.R. and my aunt were in their late 20s, early 30s, and as much as she loved me, I imagined that there were times that I got in the way. Well, anyway, we were at the pier, and he's talking about how he has these painkillers. He offered me one. I declined, of course, and told him I had a high tolerance to pain anyway, and I, I didn't need that stuff. Then, with a huge smile, he asks me if he can see for himself. Assuring me he won't really hurt me. He's just trying to have fun. This bastard twists my arm behind my back until I hear a pop. I started to cry, and he laughs and says, Sweetheart, I was only playing. You said you had a high tolerance. I guess I was stronger than I thought I was being. I'm sorry. No need to ruin a good time. We're all having fun. I go into the private peer office which my granddad managed, crying. My aunt comes in and lets me know that she thinks it's fucked up too and that she talked to him about it. She goes back outside and he asks her what she's up to that night. She tells him that she isn't sure if I'm staying over because of what had just happened. I was whining about going home. I was pissed that she hadn't decked him right there for hurting me. Well, he tells her that she should meet him under the Sunset Bridge at 2 a.m. on the other side of town. He says that the stars are beautiful and you can listen and hear the fish. He tells her he would love to see her and that they can dance under the moon. We were all a fishing family and live in a fishing town, so fish activities under the bridge wasn't necessarily something that threw up a red flag. If it's dark and late, there won't be any people hogging all the fish. She tells him maybe, and we leave. I decide to spend the night after all, only if she'll pick up my boyfriend Charlie, playing up on guilt points. So she calls J.R. when she gets home, before we made arrangements with Charlie, and says that she can come, but she'll have me with her. He groans, and is like, fine, I, I guess she can come, maybe she'll get tired and sleep in the car. About an hour after she called Jr. for the first time, I asked her about Charlie, and she agreed. She sits down with me and hugs me and touches my face lovingly, apologizing for what happened with my arm. My aunt is amazing, and I love her very much. She then calls him and tells him not to worry. She's picking up Charlie, so I will have my own entertainment and they can have their time. He goes into a rage starts to sputter and curse about how it's too complicated now and how he wanted an intimate meeting with her and not the damn family reunion. He went on about how he didn't want to have to babysit a 13-year-old and her 14-year-old boyfriend. He hangs up after calling her a crazy bitch. She bewilderingly hangs up the phone and tells me what happened. We go about our night with pizza rolls and PlayStation things are fine. He calls her a few more times, and drives by the house for a couple of weeks. But my aunt was having none of it. After a while, he left our lives, just as swiftly as he came. The whole affair lasted only a month, if that. Three weeks, maybe, in all. It wasn't the craziest experience she had with a man. J.R. was soon forgotten, and we went about our own business. Flash forward two years later. I'm almost out of middle school, My aunt had moved to a city about 40 miles away. I still lived with my grandparents. They were still strict, but they had gotten older, and so had I. I knew a few ways around the rules. One day, my friend Frank and I missed the bus home from school and called our good high school friend Darla to pick us up and take us home after riding a bit. She had this big, beautiful red truck, and I would ride around in the cab of it loving the freedom and the wind. We were smoking cigarettes and laughing listening to the radio. The time I would have spent on the bus before my stop was just enough to hit up a taco drive through We cruised down the road a little bit before heading back to mine and Frank's separate houses. He lived just down the road. We had a lot of fun that day. She dropped me off first. My grandparents came outside. They were heavily confused at the sight of an unknown vehicle and even more so when they saw that I had gotten out of it. After letting her be the one to explain because she was older, cooler, and more responsible, my grandparents thanked her for being kind enough to take me home. They said how lucky I was that she had just happened to be there to help me get home. Well, that was the last time I ever saw my friend. She didn't show up for work for five days. I can't speak for everyone, but I assumed that she had just ran away. Starless parents were going through a nasty divorce. The dad had a hot new girlfriend, and the mother was bitter about it, rightfully so, I guess. It was embarrassing for all of the kids. Her truck wasn't left behind. I figured she got tired of her parents acting like infants and took off. I missed her, but she was in a whole other league of freedom and coolness. 16 is a whole lot different than 14, especially when you're in different schools. I wished her well, maybe even a little envious that she got out of this town, because I was still here. I hadn't heard anything for two weeks about her, when at about nine at night, my grandparents got a call to turn on the news. Darla's body was found in the woods. She had been strangled to death and just left out there. I don't know for how long. I was devastated. I was so joyful that I had that last experience with her, but so saddened and horrified. She was so young, barely older than myself. She was about to be 17 in just a short time, and it was a very sad time for our town. The good and bad news is that they caught the guy that had done it. He confesses after some very incriminating evidence, and during his questioning, also confessed to killing his girlfriend who had been missing for about eight years, and also his father, staging his death to look like a suicide by hanging. When they showed his mugshot on the screen and said his name, I swear I almost passed out. There, clear as day, on the screen staring back at me was a picture of Jr. I had no idea they even knew each other. I can't even imagine what would have happened if we had gone under the bridge that night. Investigation Discovery Channel did a piece on it a couple of years back. I was shocked to see it on TV. The memories came rushing back and I decided to write them all down. I literally have a newfound appreciation for life now that I'm old enough to understand just how close I could have come to being killed. My aunt lived on to make some awesome new memories with me. I have a beautiful life with my husband and three boys that most likely wouldn't have happened if things had gone differently that night.
1: Last week, I took my dog to this fenced dog park. I try to go around five or six because that's when most people get off work and bring their dogs, so there's a large amount of them for my puppy to socialize and to play with. It rained earlier in the day, but stopped, so I was surprised to see only one person in the park. I knew both him and his dog, and we chatted for a bit while they chased each other around. Also worth mentioning, the atmosphere was just so creepy. A low, thick fog covered the entire dog park. It was that horrible weather that's somehow both humid and cold. Just a dreary, rainy fall day. It wasn't that dark yet, so when the guy and his dog left, I decided to stay for a while and play fetch with mine. Mistake number one. I throw the ball around for a bit, and on one throw, something caught my eye. There was a man, all in black, hood up, standing at the fence, completely still, facing towards me. I couldn't see his face, so I don't know if he was looking at me. I tried to brush it off as maybe he's just watching us play fetch. I do have a five-month-old puppy, after all, who is adorable and draws a lot of attention from strangers. I threw the ball in his direction a few more times so that I could glance at him to see if he would move on. No, he never did. At that point, I started to get pretty freaked out. I didn't want to stay alone in a dog park with only one entrance it was significantly darker at this point as well i really really wanted to get out of there but in order to leave i'd have to walk past this man you have to walk the length of the dog park on this path in order to get where you park so walking past him was the only way out i gather my stuff and begin to leave I walk to the entrance, glancing at him every few seconds, and he's still standing completely still, but now he's turned more towards me. I took out my phone and pretended to be talking to someone, saying things like, I'll be there in 20 minutes. 15? What? That's too soon. Okay, I'll try. The moment I left the dog park, he turned and started walking away towards the parking lot. I was relieved, but only for a moment. He wasn't walking. He was shuffling. Only a few feet at a time. Then he would stop completely. Turn around and look at me. And then keep going. Repeat. Three or four times. Then his walking chain. He started throwing his head back, looking up at the sky repeatedly, rhythmically, and taking huge strides forward, his movements very bizarre and exaggerated, tiptoe-like walk. If you've ever heard the old story of the smiling man, it reminded me of that, like exactly like that, except he was moving slow, not fast. The moment He started doing it. That story was the first thing to pop into my head. And still, every five, ten feet or so, he would look back at me. I was walking behind him, slowly, in the same direction, towards my car. Needless to say, I was pretty much 100% convinced I was going to be stabbed, robbed, kidnapped, or whatever. I was scared to death. My whole body was tense and cold. I've never felt that kind of fear in my entire life, like a deep, horrible, pit-of-your-stomach-I-could-die-tonight fear. Then, suddenly, he turns sharp and runs into the trees alongside the path. I took this opportunity to pick up the pace and passed the spot where he had run into the trees. Mistake number two. Barely seconds after I passed him, I hear a rustling, and he's coming out of the trees. Behind me, fast. No longer walking like the Smiling Man, a fast, curt power walk straight at me. This is where I started sprinting. I was only about 30 yards from my car. I scooped up my dog, not an easy feat to do while running, he's 40 pounds and jumped into the driver's seat, started my car, locked the doors, and peeled out of there as fast as I could. As I was backing up out of my parking space, the lights shined for just a second on the man who was standing at the end of the path slash beginning of the parking lot, completely still, just staring. I was so shaken up I didn't want to walk around at night for a few days. Even speaking this has made me incredibly uncomfortable. I've told people that I frequently see there about the encounter, and now I make sure that I am never the last person in the dog park. Creepy, imitating, smiling man? Let's never meet. Ever.
0: About six years ago, I was with my friend Tom at my parents' cabin. We decided to head off to a casino about 40 miles away. The entire stretch of the highway between is heavily forested and has no lights, meaning it can get incredibly dark. We got there, and played some poker, tried a few table games, and grabbed some dinner with our winnings. Pretty successful night overall for both of us. We ended up leaving the casino around 1 a.m., A little later than I would have liked, given the lack of any streetlights. We drive for about 20 minutes on the highway without passing any other vehicles, when I noticed two green orbs just off the highway. Realizing it was a deer, I slammed on my brakes and waited. Several deer crossed, and then we resumed driving. The car was going slowly up the hill because it was a starting stop. As soon as we make it to the crest of the hill... Tom screamed, holy shit. Right in front of us was a young woman walking in the middle of the lane towards us, no more than maybe 30 feet away. I slam on the brakes again and come within 10 feet of her. Thankfully, we were slowing down earlier and climbing that hill. I nearly ran over someone. It was this young woman with pitch black hair who was wearing a white nightgown with no shoes. She was still walking towards us with a blank, expressionless face. I'm not going to lie. The image frightened me because it it looks like something straight out of a horror movie. Tom and I waited to see if she was going to pull up to our window and maybe ask for help or something. She made it to the front of the car, then went around the driver's side. She didn't stop, but she raised her hand and dragged it across the side of the car while continuing to walk. At this point, Tom and I were both freaked out. I asked Tom what we should do. He said that we should get out of here. For whatever reason, I just didn't feel right about leaving and not asking if she was okay. I looked in the rearview mirror and saw that She was still walking. Having almost hit her and knowing that something just wasn't right, I decided to do something. I told Tom that I was going to ask if she was okay. Tom pleaded for us to just get out of there. I put on some bravado and told him not to worry and that I would be right back. I put on the blinkers and stepped out of my car. I left my door open to provide some light and walked around to the trunk of the car. My interior lights didn't do much, but the blinkers allowed me to see the outline of her slowly walking down the hill. Only able to see every other second, I yelled, Are you alright? She finally stopped walking, but still faced the other way. There was no response. I heard Tom's door open as he was getting out to join me. Suddenly, She started screaming. Tom and I ran back into the car and just floored it. I got a lot of shit from Tom for the remainder of the ride back to my cabin. I haven't heard or seen anything on the highway since then, but I'm pretty thankful for that. That was the creepiest moment of my life. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard The Man on the Patio by Bestfeet678, Laughing in the Woods by Reddit user Vic9911, My Aunt Dated a Murderer by Bunny B 3 Never Be the Last Person to Leave the Dog Park, followed by The Smiling Man by Reddit user firstborn, and finally a retelling of a creepy encounter with the woman on the highway. By Reddit user Secretman. Thanks again to Sora Narnia for appearing on this week's episode of Let's Not Meet. It's always a pleasure to have him back. If you'd like to check out his work, go to knifepointhorror.lipson.com or simply search knifepointhorror on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date with everything that's going on with Let's Not Meet, join the Facebook group. Just search Let's Not Meet in Facebook or follow me on Twitter at Let's Not Meet Cast. And if you want to send in your story, simply email letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet.